0: Hi, folks. I thought we would talk about the Barbie movie. Now, before we begin, I'm going to assume a few things. One, that you have seen the Barbie movie. I will be talking about the plot in detail, but of course, there will be massive spoilers in this. So if you haven't, you don't want it spoiled, go and watch it before watching this. Um, But secondly, I'm going to assume you're someone like me who was never invested in Barbie, doesn't really care about Barbie, and so is approaching this from the perspective of an outsider who is relatively disinterested in the subject. For me, Barbies are just for girls, right? And, you know, I was playing with Action Man, they were playing with Barbie, that's fine, never the twain would meet. Uh, And so I'm not an expert on Barbie itself, although I've done a lot of research for this video. Uh, So if you're an expert in Barbie, do leave me a comment and tell me if I've got something wrong. Um, But what I'll be focusing on is a textual analysis of the film. So I'm actually going to try and avoid talking about a lot of the discussion that's gone around the film. Uh, I may do a follow-up, perhaps with someone else, uh, to discuss that, because that is interesting in and of itself. But what I thought was most fascinating about the Barbie film is how there seem to be themes embedded in the film. It's a deeply political film. There are themes embedded in it that seem to have been missed by most people. I've not seen anyone make the sort of comparisons and analysis that I'm about to make. Um, And I think, actually, it's not what people thought it was. I think, actually, it might not even be what the author of the film, Greta Gerwig, thought it was. Uh, And I don't know how much of this is conscious or unconscious. So, with that that said, um, here's a brief synopsis. Everything is perfect in the matriarchal paradise that is Barbie land, until one day, stereotypical Barbie begins getting intrusive thoughts of death. This leads her to discover that whoever is playing with her in the real world is having these thoughts and projecting them onto her, so she must travel to the real world to find out who this person is and why this is happening. Her boyfriend, Beach Ken, smuggles himself along with her, and while in the real world, Ken learns about patriarchy and decides to try and implement patriarchy in Barbieland. His revolution fails when the Barbies manipulate the Kens to fight one another and restore the matriarchy in Barbieland. However, at the end, Barbie realizes that she, in fact, wants to live in the real world as a real woman. Now, I've left out an awful lot of detail there from that brief overview of the film, which I will be going into in great depth shortly. But that's very interesting as a plot for a movie about Barbie, as in it's a plot about social commentary. It's not actually about Barbie the toy, it's really about how Barbie the toy impacted women and girls in the real world. And I guess the question that will come up that I'll just answer right now is, was the film any good? And actually, yeah, I I enjoyed watching it, to be honest, which is not something I thought I'd ever say. I enjoyed the Barbie movie. Uh, I had fun watching it, it was a good time. Believe it or not, it was actually quite a well-produced film. Everything looked very good. Uh, All of the actors were brilliant. Actually, Margot Robbie was really good as Barbie. Ryan Gosling was really good as Ken and definitely stole the show. Uh, Will Ferrell was just Will Ferrell. So if you like Will Ferrell, you know what to expect. And it was interesting. At no point was I bored. I was very engaged by the story itself, even in the bits that I didn't particularly like because of the way that they were framing either reality or men or whatever. Um, It was still a well made film and it was still enjoyable. So without further ado, let's get into the film itself. Part one, Barbie's Space Odyssey. So the film begins with a parody of Kubrick's 2001 A Space Odyssey. There are young girls playing on a desolate planet with uh, dolls of babies, and they're just playing with these baby dolls as young girls do. And suddenly, as the music begins, you see a giant Barbie. She's wearing the classic black and white swimsuit, and she's wearing the sunglasses, which she pulls down and winks at the girls. And this is a revelatory moment to the young girls who take their dolls and start smashing them on the floor. This obviously had quite a triggering effect on certain conservative viewers, and it is a really ugly scene to have just first thing in the movie. A bunch of and five or six year old girls smashing baby dolls on the floor in the shadow of Barbie, a giant woman, uh, is quite vile and does represent uh, quite a hideous spirit that is something that we see in real life today. Um, But what this introduction shows us is a representation of what the historical event of the advent of the Barbie doll did to young girls and, in consequence, the women that they would become. Helen Mirram gives us a narration over the top of this that just explains it quite explicitly. As she says, if the girls can see Barbie as it, then the girls can grow up to become it, as in Barbie as a senator, doctor, whatever profession you like. Prior to this, the little girl's toys had a distinct matronliness about them. The girl would take on the role of the mother of a baby who she would have to love and to feed and to change and to bathe, to care for and walk around in a pram and to grow up into the role of a wife and mother in the real world. Barbie changes that by turning her into an adult woman who is essentially on her own but has a boyfriend called Ken. This opening scene is the first hint that this simply is not a film for children. Uh, This is a film for adult women, but we'll come back to that later. But what's interesting is that Barbie is not actually the origin of Barbie, and if we actually go and look into the origin of the Barbie doll, then we can see why this actually turns out to be a rather inappropriate thing to give to five-year-old girls. Barbie's origins were as a German doll called Lily, who is a representation of an adult cartoon in the German tabloid newspaper Bild, being quite a um, saucy character. Lily was quite popular with men in post-war Germany and so Bild started producing these sort of foot-high plastic dolls of Lily as pornographic uh, caricatures of women to sell to men as a kind of gag gift. And as the Washington Post informs us, quote, Lily was a gold digger, exhibitionist, and floozy. She had loose morals, small brains, and the body of a calendar girl in the comics." Where she was often scantily clothed. Not exactly a good representation of women to sell to young American girls. But for some reason, Barbie's uh, inventor, Ruth Handler, was in Switzerland in 1956 and saw Lily on sale in a shop. And she saw that and thought, young American girls need that. And so she bought a dozen of these Lily dolls, took them back to the United States, uh, created what the Washington Post calls her Americanized doppelganger uh, and named her Barbie after her own daughter, as the Washington Post tells us. The most popular dolls of that era, Raggedy Ann for example, all looked like children. Handler had wanted for years to create a detailed adult doll for tro- children, but her ideas were shot down by her mostly male colleagues who told her it would be too difficult to manufacture, which sounds to me like it was an excuse, especially as Handler tells us this. They were all horrified by the thought of wanting to make a doll with breasts. Why should they not be? If dolls for children are of children, so they can mimic the role of being an adult, what role are they mimicking if they were to have a doll who is essentially sexualized? This is inappropriate, and the Barbie movie recognizes that. Over the next few years, Handler and other designers at Mattel. Relaxed the doll's lips, softened her eyebrows, upgraded her plastic, and whitened her skin. At one point, the nipples and breasts of an early prototype were daintily filed off. A delicate, detailed couture wardrobe was created. Doesn't really sound like it's the sort of thing that's appropriate for five-year-olds, does it? But this happened concurrently with the advent of birth control and the philosophy of the sexual revolution, which swept the West. And these things, I think, are all in some way bound up and intertwined and can't really be extracted from one another. The social winds of change have been blowing across the West since the 19th century, uh, where contraception became something that people were concerned about. And in the 19, in fact, it was in 1960 that the birth control pill itself was finally approved by the FDA in the United States for widespread consumption. It's at this point that sex becomes fully disconnected from the act of motherhood. If you have sex, you can be almost guaranteed not to become pregnant, and if you did become pregnant, the option for an abortion was available. This, of course, appends traditional morality. If you don't become pregnant by having sex, then why should you be restrained on who you have sex with? This fundamentally changes the character of a girl's playtime. When she's playing with her dolls. Before, the girl would take on the superior role of the mother looking after the inferior role of a baby. She's doing something for someone else. Uh, Now, with Barbie, it changes this dynamic completely. Now, the girl is in the inferior position looking up to a superior, someone who is better than them in almost every way, which again is something that the Barbie movie makes it clear, is a complaint. This, the Barbie, is obviously phenomenally attractive because she's derived from a sex doll designed for men, She is also an adult, she has a career, she has her life together, and she's made of plastic and so she never changes. She is always perfect. This changes things completely. Barbie is to be an inspirational figure for the newly liberated modern woman, or at least for the girl to develop into the newly liberated modern woman. And the Barbie film represents all of this accurately. If without all of this backstory that I'm giving you. And that's what the Space Odyssey parody is describing. The consequence of this early wave of feminism is to change women from one thing that they were into something that they were not. The promise of all of this is to liberate women from the chains of motherhood, from being confined to a relationship with a man and to have to have the burden of bearing children. And it worked. As The Guardian reported recently, more than half of women, 51% of women in this country, in Britain, uh, reach 30 without having any children. This, as they say, has been rising since a low of 18% for women born in 1941. And among women who turned 45 uh, in 2021, almost one in five were without children. A big rise compared to the 13% of their mother's generation who did not become a parent. So as we can see large numbers of women have imbibed this narrative that in fact maybe a woman should be dedicated only to herself and to her career and not to a family and a husband and the wider civilization of which is a part. And What's interesting is I found a YouGov poll uh, asking about the Barbie movie as to whether people thought that Barbie itself As a product was a benefit or a detriment. And the results are fascinating. For those people over 65 years old, only 9% of people thought that Barbie had been a positive, and 24% thought it had been a negative, with 50% saying they had no opinion on it. But that's very interesting how more than twice as many women who have an opinion on Barbie who are over 65 think it was a negative rather than a positive. But conversely, in the post feminist 20th century, Among 18 to 29 year olds now, 33% of women think it was positive, with only 26% thinking it was negative, which is still a remarkably large number considering we are living in the consequences of the feminist revolution. I mean, if you think about it, how many 18 to 29 year olds even actually played with Barbie? Anyway. So, what kind of civilization are we presented with in Barbie-land in the movie? It is a perfect feminine simulacrum of the real world. Just like Barbie Playsense, it is smooth, it is clean, it is pink, it is plastic. It is a cartoon representation of reality. It is a world without physical flaws. And in it, Barbies imitate those things that real people do in the real world. They get up, they get showered, they have breakfast, they go to work. But they do all of these things without the essential character of the act being present. Barbie showers with no water, she pours her milk with actually no milk coming out of it, she empties bins that are empty, she goes to a job where she doesn't actually do anything and she sits around watching other people do the same thing. It is a very hollow representation of the real world which accurately mirrors what a child's understanding of an adult's life is. They don't know what it is that an adult actually does every day. They don't know what is involved in what it means to keep everything that we have going. It is a child's interpretation of an adult world, which of course leaves it deficient. As we're introduced to Barbie Land, Helen Miram gives us this piece of narration. All of these women are Barbie, and all of these women are Barbie. She might have started out as just a lady in a bathing suit, but she has become so much more. She has her own money, her own house, her own car, her own career. Because Barbie can be anything, women can be anything. And this has been reflected in everything and anything they set their mind to. Thanks to Barbie, all the problems of feminism and equal rights have been solved. After all, they're living in Barbie land. Who am I to burst their bubble? We're shown and told that Barbie is living her best day every day. Every day in Barbie land is perfect because everything is clean, orderly and unchanging. Everyone is always successful at everything they do. And there's no reason for anyone to be anything other than completely affirmed at every thing in their life all of the things that were shown we could call say immediate successes uh, but there is never anything that might indicate some sort of long term plan or goal things are always are as they are now because things never change we are presented with a kind of series of career barbies and we are shown that there is a kind of hierarchy of barbies there are barbie bin collectors there are barbie workmen but the film doesn't Really spend any time focusing on these people and only focuses on the uh, high end apex barbies, should we call them? Uh, The senators, the president, the supreme court, Nobel Prize winners, uh, barbies who are accomplished and have status. But even when we're shown the low status barbies, we of course never see them doing anything difficult. Uh, The bin collectors are very clean, the workman barbies are never breaking a sweat. Uh, Everything is merely an illusion, a shadow of the real world. Because ultimately, Barbie-land is a reflection of the world that men have built. Men are the ones that do the dirty jobs that are being replaced by women, and men are also, overall, the people who do the elite jobs that, of course, the Barbies are coveting. But fundamentally, you can see that it is Barbie's independence that is the selling point of Barbie Land. Barbie is represented as being probably somewhere in her mid to late 20s, uh, very attractive, very successful at the apex of her power as a woman. She is perfect physically, she is well loved by everyone around her, and she has all of the things that she wants, and she has this perfect independent life. And that is crystallised in time. And that's what Barbie Land and the introduction to it is telling us. She lives her best day every day and it's always the same. It's like a perfect Groundhog Day for Barbie. This is of course completely divorced from a real woman's experience in the real world and in fact that's kind of the point of the film. Part 3. Ken. So, where do men fit into the perfect feminist utopia? Uh, The answer is, of course, they don't. There's no need for Ken to exist in Barbie Land at all. And so the Kens make up a kind of dispossessed underclass who apparently just roam around the town and only turn up when they are, well, otherwise not turfed out. Their existence is sad, jealous, and needy. It's pathetic. And throughout the film we are shown that the Kens are highly competitive with one another for the attentions of the Barbies, because that's literally the only reason they exist. As Helen Miram tells us, quote, Barbie has a great day every day, but Ken only has a great day if Barbie looks at him. How terribly sad. Ken can only achieve anything if Barbie pays him some attention. He is nothing on his own, he can do nothing of his own, and he's completely locked out of all political or economic power in order to make his own way in life. He just stands there, waiting for Barbie to notice him. The only thing a man can achieve in Barbie Land is to gain the fleeting attention of a woman. We're also introduced to Alan, who's the token gay character, who doesn't fit into the paradigm of romantic male-female relationships. He seems to have a slight admiration for some of the Kens, but also he seems to kind of hate them as well and wants to get away from them at one point. Uh, but he actually needs nothing from Barbie, and so is rather superfluous. Just like Ken. Anyway, on the beach, Ken decides he's going to get Barbie's attention by impressing her and he tries to run out to sea to surf or something, uh, and he ends up injuring himself in the process. And as he does this, we can see that Barbie doesn't actually hate Ken. She kind of gives him a nod of encouragement, as if he's a child or something, and she wants to see him succeed, but. Who knows? Really, Barbie doesn't seem to understand the purpose of him, and he doesn't understand his own purpose either. While the Kens are hyper competitive with the other Kens, the Barbies don't really care if they exist at all. After being healed up in the Barbie ambulance, Ken asks Barbie if he can spend some time with her, and Barbie says sure, doesn't matter to her. Uh, She's having a dance party that evening actually, and Ken can just come over and join it, and he thinks that's brilliant. However, at the dance party, Ken spends a lot of the time at the side with a sneer on his face, watching Barbie dancing with the other Barbies and some of the other Kens. He angrily dances his way over, and I have to say, Ryan Gosling is genuinely a joy to watch here, uh, he's very funny, actually, in his entire performance as Ken. Um, and he's thrilled when Barbie greets him on the dance floor and angrily looks at another Ken who danced with Barbie first. And after the party, Ken attempts to romance Barbie. Uh, he tries to kiss her, but she just stands there, totally uninterested. And then he asks to stay over. And Barbie just tells him, No, you can go now. I don't want you here. This is Barbie's dream house, not Ken's dream house, and it's girl's night every night forever. Then you're shown a shot of the house where all of the Barbies are in there, and they're going to have a girl's night, and that's what they do every single night. And the Kens can just leave. Uh, She just callously crushes Ken's dreams and walks off as if nothing bad has been done. And Ken uh, whispers, I love you too. I can't stay. I've got to go, as if she had asked him instead to stay, and he has to leave. And it's just tragic. What an awful, awful existence that Ken has in Barbie Land. Ken, of course, is trying to represent some kind of function as a man, but because of the nature of Barbie Land as a toy set for children, uh, this is forever locked off. He appropriately represents a child's understanding of adult relationships, which leaves Ken nowhere to go with his romance with Barbie. They are connected somehow, but it's not clear what that connection is, but he knows he's supposed to do something. But overall the Kens have a deeply pathetic lot in Barbie land. They have no property, they have no civil rights, they have no modicum of respect in society. They are locked out of these things on the very basis that they are Kens and therefore men. The Barbies get all of these things on the basis that they are Barbies and therefore Women. Part 4 The Journey to the Real World. At the dance party, the Barbies are sharing affirmations with one another, dancing around, saying how wonderful everything is and how brilliant each other is. And for no reason whatsoever, Barbie just turns to them and says, Do you guys ever think about dying? And the music stops, and everyone looks at each other, and Barbie says, I mean, I'm dying to continue dancing. And the music starts again, and everyone carries on. That is like a, a drop of ink in a glass of milk that suddenly polluted the entire thing. For stereotypical Barbie at the very least. That night, Barbie goes to bed, still with thoughts of death on her mind, and the next day she wakes up tired, she's got bad breath, and things start going wrong for her in her daily life. She burns her toast, the milk is sour. She doesn't feel like herself. The water in her shower's cold. She's lost her mojo. Something is different about her personally. She goes down to the beach, steps out of her shoes, and as you know Barbies have arched feet to fit into high heels, and for the first time ever her feet go flat and her heels touch the floor and she falls over. And everyone freaks out because something has changed in the land where nothing ever changes. The Barbies decide that Barbie is malfunctioning in some way, and she has to go and see Weird Barbie Weird Barbie we are told is that Barbie that every girl had that had been played with too much. she had been uh, had her face drawn upon with makeup, she had been broken, so she was always doing the splits uh, the, the she is a representation of that excessively damaged Barbie doll that apparently every girl had, and they probably did but because Weird Barbie is different and in some way deformed, she's treated as an outsider in fact she's treated as some kind of medicine woman or witch. She's the person to whom the other Barbies go when there's something wrong and it needs to be fixed, whereas the weird Barbie just keeps degrading, apparently. She lives in a strange house at the outskirts of town with a bunch of other weird cast offs in the house. Uh, She still has a better lot in life than the Kens though. She is still a Barbie. She still does live in a house, even if the other Barbies call her weird to her face. It's very clear that she's the Barbie who's been corrupted by the real world. And it's very interesting how she's the only Barbie who displays a sexual interest in Ken, which stereotypical Barbies doesn't understand. But this corruption by the real world, put a pen in it, we'll come back to it, because this is what prevents Barbie from becoming like the other Barbies later on. Anyway, Barbie goes to Weird Barbie's house and explains to her the problem. Her feet have become flat, she's having thoughts of death. Weird Barbie says she hasn't seen anything like this, but explains that the reason this is happening is because in the real world, the girl that is playing with Barbie is projecting her feelings onto Barbie. And she looks at her own thigh and notices that for the first time she has cellulite. Which raises a few interesting questions. What kind of little girl is playing with Barbie and thinking about having flat feet, bad breath, cellulite, and is having thoughts of death? bit weird for a young girl to think about, right? Weird Barbie tells Barbie that in fact some kind of portal has been opened between Barbie land and the real world, and Barbie has to travel through it in order to find the girl that's been playing with her and put whatever problem it is she has right. Uh, without this, Barbie will grow old and get sad, mushy and complicated. Hmm, that's interesting. This of course is everything that Barbie doesn't want. She says all she has ever wanted is for everything to be exactly as it is right now, as in perfect forever. She wants to be in her paradise. But Weird Barbie says no, if you don't go, the paradise will essentially break down. You have to go and fix it. You have to go through the portal. You have to discover what the problem is. And there's simply no choice in the matter. So Barbie finally relents and decides, okay, well, I will go to the real world. I'll find the girl who's playing with me. I will go and solve her problems and then everything will be fixed and everything will be perfect forever. And so Barbie has a going away party where all the other Barbies get around and talk to her what will the real world be like. And the Barbies think that the real world will be perfect for women and that Barbie will have fixed everything for women in the real world in the same way that has been fixed for women in Barbie land and therefore the young girls who are playing with Barbie will be thrilled to see Barbie. They'll give her a big hug and they'll say thank you for everything that you've done. And so Barbie's quite excited about going to the real world. This is gonna be great. I'll just sail on over there. I'll meet the the girl. I'll explain to her why things are going badly or whatever can be done to be fixed. She'll be thrilled to see me. Everything will be fixed. I'll come back and it'll be perfect forever as it was before. No problem. They think Barbie will be a hero to these young girls and set her expectations accordingly. Barbie drives off in her pink car towards the real world. Doesn't matter how that works. And She realizes that Ken has stowed away on the back seat when he pops up and starts singing next to her. Uh, She tells him, she stops the car and tells him to get out. Uh, He doesn't want to and begs her, pathetically, to let him come to the real world with her. And eventually she relents, but won't let him sit in the front seat. Because Ken is a second class citizen. At best, Ken is just an annoying person who tags along that you can't get rid of. Part 5 Patriarchy. The real world is portrayed as a terrible feminist caricature of a patriarchy. And this is probably where many conservative commentators took most exception. Uh, The real world is just not like how it is portrayed in Barbie. But even when it does try to portray this oppressive patriarchy, it kind of fails. Ken and Barbie are dressed like 80s dolls and rollerblading in bright green rollerblades down a beach in California. And they stick out like sore thumbs. And so people start paying attention to them. People are rude and disrespectful to Barbie, but Ken is enjoying the attention because he feels that it is, in fact, people flattering him. Because, of course, that's what Ken does. He looks for attention from the Barbies. That's his entire job. That's all his entire existence revolves around. And so getting a lot of attention that he didn't have to work to earn is very nice for him. This is suddenly a complete role reversal. Barbie feels self-conscious for the first time. She doesn't know why these people are paying attention to her. Whereas Ken feels admired for the first time. They go to a construction site that is populated by what I suppose we call working class men, and uh, they're very rude to Barbie, uh, make crude jokes at her. And she says, you'd think a construction site at lunchtime would be the perfect place for a little woman power, but this one was so male. Everything's reversed here, says Ken. No, everything is reversed in Barbie land. They get arrested for stealing clothes because they come to the conclusion that it's the clothes that are the problem. Uh, And as they're being arrested, the police are absurdly lecherous towards Barbie. Now, I'm not going to say that I know what every woman's experience in the real world with police is like, but I've never seen anything like this. Uh, And so we'll just leave that there. To watch the full video, please become a premium member at lotuseaters.com.